0: Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly, Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Dave Jenkinson continues our series on the Psalms for the Journey, today looking at Psalms 125, 126, and 127. And now, here's Dave. So good to see each and every one of you here this morning. Those who are meeting online, thank you for your presence as well. As you uh, may be aware, we are studying selected psalms, psalms for the journey. Thank you uh, for those who have been working behind the scenes to uh, prepare this as a topic, how beautiful a topic it has been for the summer months. I've understood that this is a journey, but we haven't said what journey it is. Um, is it the journey here today? How was your trip in? I'm sure there was somebody here who had quite an experience on the way in. I um, hope it wasn't one of those fights that we sometimes get as families. But um, uh, the, uh, the good experiences, I mean, I'm talking about the good experiences. Psalms are the poetry and the praise of the Old Testament. And as we've said many times, uh, there are five books in the book of Psalms, all 150 of them divided five ways. Just like the fingers on your hand. And uh, book one is, corresponds to Genesis 1 through 41. Book two corresponds to Exodus and Redemption is the theme, uh, 42 to 72. Book three is 73 to 89, corresponds to Leviticus, Holiness. Book four, Numbers And it's chapter 90 to 106 and book 5, Deuteronomy 107 to 150. And the theme there, of course, is praise. These three psalms that I've been asked to speak on today are amongst the various psalms that we've been looking at that were sung as the pilgrims made their way to Jerusalem. You're going, well, didn't they have? Churches in their own neighborhoods <laughs> well yeah, they actually did we didn't call they didn 't call them churches, they called them synagogues, and uh, after the exile into Babylon, when they came back into the land of Israel, they rebuilt the temple and the temple sacrifice, but they also brought back the synagogues, which had actually been developing in the uh, exile time, and the synagogues were a time of um, of where they would read the word of God, but there was no sacrifice done in a synagogue. And the sacrifice had to be in Jerusalem. In fact, three times a year, in Exodus 23, verse 17, it says, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. It was meant to be a family gathering where they would all come down and um, gather together. That would be at the Feast of Passover, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, and finally at the Feast of the gathering at the end of the year, three different feasts. That was the last one was the Feast of Tabernacles. So this would be, this particular chapter, chapter 125, 126, and 127 by way of introduction, was meant to be sung. So I'm going to ask you all this, no, I'm not going to ask you to stand and sing it, but uh, let's read the first psalm, uh, Psalm 125, and it begins this way. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. And as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. The scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. So do good, O Lord, to those who are good, to those who are upright in their hearts. And as for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Peace be upon Israel. Three kinds of people mentioned in this chapter, chapter 125 of the Psalms. Those who trust in the Lord, verse 1. Those who compromise with the enemy, verse 3. And those who deliberately go the wrong way, the wrong path, in verse 5. We could call them the faithful, the unfaithful, and the apostate. Probably the Psalm was written during the time of Nehemiah or Ezra. So, were any of you able to watch the Olympics this past summer? I didn't get the chance to see the actual live events. But actually, watching the YouTube video of the final race of the 1500s, where uh, Damian Warner of 31 years won the decathlon, it was still so exciting. I couldn't believe it. I was rooting for him on the third lap, when the bell sounded to remind all the runners this was the final race. He was in... <laughs> Get this, out of 19 runners, he was in 11th place. And so during that final lap, he moved ahead from 11th place to 5th place. And I've never seen a man's legs go so fast. He completed the entire 1,500 meters in 4 minutes, 31.8 seconds. If you haven't seen that race, go ahead and check it out. And you will thrill to the just being a spectator alongside of someone who's winning. So good to see someone win for a change, eh? And uh, he won the decathlon, uh, breached the 9,000 points plateau with 9,018 points at a new Olympic record, and was the first Canadian ever in the history of Canada to win a gold in the Olympic decathlon. So as the sound of that bell or the sight of the finished race line would cheer the heart of any competitor, especially Damien, so too the sight of the mountains of Jerusalem for the pilgrims. And travelers would be a reminder, the journey is almost complete. And as you walked up the mountains toward Jerusalem, you'd see first the mountains of Mount Zion, Mount Scopus, Mount Golgotha, the Mount of Olives. And the writer would say, those who trust in the Lord shall be as strong and as stable as those mountains. Walking along that dusty road for many days and possibly fearing an attack from a band of thieves, the sight of those mountains of Jerusalem would be something to cheer the heart. And it all starts with trust. The same start of trust that happened at the beginning of the journey would be the same start, the final trust that would conclude the journey. How's your trust level? How's your trust meter going these days? They that trust the Lord and do good and dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Psalm 37 verse 3 says, And the middle verse of the Bible says, Psalm 118, verse 8: It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Wow, that's pretty care. That's pretty amazing, eh? Psalm 118 um, has this this middle verse. And on the left, on one side of the psalm, is the shortest psalm and shortest book of the Bible, Psalms 117. And to the right is the longest book of the Bible, or chapter of the Bible, Psalms 119. So it comes right there in the center. But it's not quite the center if you went by the verses. 15,550 verses... um, uh, on the one side and 15,550 verses on the other side. And what is in the center of that? Psalms 103, verses 1 and 2, which says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. This psalm has a special and interesting, true personal story associated with these verses I was invited to visit and pray for a dear sister, elderly, senior, who was going through a form of pneumonia-like illness. I went to where the hospital was located, to the south of here, and sought to take a moment to visit. The head nurse indicated that I needed to put on full protective gear. Does that sound familiar? Mask, face shield, gown, gloves, make sure the hands were sanitized. Everything had to be done because this was an illness that was extremely uh, virulent and extremely dangerous. So I entered into the secured area. And as I entered, I said to this gal, how are you doing today? She replied back to me, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. and Forget none of his benefits. Wow, I just it just bowled me right over. I've never been greeted with such a profound, holy response. Ever. How do you greet people? Oh, life is terrible. It's bad out there. If it gets any worse, I don't know. I'm like a guy looking up to see the bottom of the boat. It's just so, so bad. Like the I call it the Eeyore Complex. Is that the way you greet people? We are so untransparent aren't we because the joy of the lord is our strength and he's given us a joy that is profound and satisfying even in the midst of trials look at job here he's lost so much of of what's gone on around him his his family his wealth even his health and what does he say the lord gives the lord takes away blessed be the name of the lord we need to get that kind of attitude into our hearts because there's going to be times coming. It's not going to be easy, and we need to be able to learn how to bless in the midst of plenty, and bless in the midst of difficulty and scarcity. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. He will direct your paths. And that's a special verse. For our graduate going forward, Ryan, Proverbs 3, 5, keep it close to your heart. It starts with trust. Who do you trust? You trust your parents? Well, yes, we can, but they're fable. They're fable. No, no, sorry. Fallible. <laughs> we may get fable, feeble, <laughs> but uh, trust your siblings. No, nah, they're not always there for you. Trust your teachers. They make mistakes too. Trust your spouse if you have one. Well, sometimes they fail you and either you die or they die. Trust your businesses and banks and industries and discover much is what's said and is done is just for profit. Trust the politicians and government. No, Paul, when he urges in 2nd Timothy, or 1st Timothy 2, he says, pray for your, those who are in authority. He says, it doesn't necessarily trust them. He says, pray for them. And, uh, you will discover that If you trust the Lord and you trust Jesus, you will discover he never fails you. He never lies. He never changes in his total love for you. We are built upon this rock, Jesus Christ. He dwells within us and surrounds us with his protection and mercy. And as a people of faith, we shall not be moved. To live by faith is to keep our eyes on the Lord. Psalms 123.1, Hebrews 12.1. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to keep going Back into God's word. Somebody says, "I, I don't know. I, I don't know why this is. I, I, I read God's word, and it seems like I forget it so quickly." Well, unless you have, you're blessed with one of those people that has a photographic memory, and that can also be a curse, by the way. Um, if you have not a photographic memory, your brain is like a sieve. You got to keep pouring in God's word because it's draining out almost as fast as it's going in. So we got to keep in the word, folks we got to keep reading and studying and sharing and worshiping. Not just here, but daily. Because we live our lives by the day, don't we? And so, the future has your friend. The future is your friend when Jesus is your Lord. It's not easy to walk on the narrow way. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. And narrow is the road that leads to life. But the life of faith, the narrow way, is the way of joy. And part two of Psalms 126, he reminds that it's not just trust, but that we need to have dreams and laughter and joy in the journey. When the Lord returned again, all the former captives from Zion, we felt just like we were dreaming. Our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with shouts of joy. Wow, powerful. Do you have those moments when something you've been waiting for finally comes to pass? For those who are going growing up as children today uh, they're they're in the position to say oh, I wish I was older. I wish I was more mature I wish I could pay my own way work my own get my through my education, do all those things and uh, when you get to that stage of life when you're in the later years of life when you are the older ones, I am the gray-haired senior. When you're that position, you might say, I wish I was a little younger, had a little more energy to serve, a little more uh, resilience in those knees. Um, Yeah, it's interesting how we are as people. But you need to have dreams, don't you? You need to have dreams. Just like a bride waiting for her wedding day or an artist contemplating the successful completion of artwork or a scientist waiting for the successful proof for a new medical therapy each of these can bring satisfaction and joy, but it's not the same joy as an extended absence and These people had been away from Jerusalem for seventy years. Can you imagine being away from your home for seventy year long years? Some would be never have known that home, and some that would be really in their seniors they'd have to be in their nineties probably to come back and say, "There's my home after the destruction by the king of Babylon. There's my home. What's left of it? And it said that on returning home, they would look, and as they looked, they would see the fields outside. And as they looked and saw the fields outside, they would see and remember as that farmer walks out there with that plow and donkey, and he turns over the field and plows that field, and they would remember the memories of. Those same, strong, those same fields where strong gray soldiers vainly spilled their blood in efforts to repulse an army. And the memories would bring tears to the hardened and weather-beaten cheeks of the writer. But the seed needed to go into the soil. They needed to eat, and the crop was needed. And regardless of the raw emotions, the seed must go in. And the same is true of the message to in Psalms 126. They were reminded the city was now in ruins that God was sent back them back home but it's town, time to build the walls again to rebuild the temple. And those working outside would see columns of the exiles returning and they'd be carrying bundles on their backs like possessions and clothing and they would resemble farmers coming into the city with the shocks of wheat and barley following harvest. And this sight would bring great joy to all Yes, even tears. They that sow in tears shall doubtless come again, reaping with joy. Scripture is clear. It is God's word that we must receive with meekness, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And its faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10:17. Yet Jesus was not ashamed to weep. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. John 11.35, he was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53. And so, there are some that teach today that revival cannot come without much shedding of tears and fervent pleading for the souls of others. And I do believe we need to be praying for revival. Are you praying for revival today? There are hearts that have been so so grieved during these past two years in particular it has been a struggle for so many are you praying for those who see this as a struggle that god is sending them to pull them to himself yes now we're not talking about fake tears alligator tears like malachi 2:13 says you cover the altar with your weeping and crying no he god even can see what the difference is when someone feigns sadness they they cry alligator tears and Somebody says, where'd that expression come from? You know, I've used it. You've used it. Apparently, it came from a book written by the Travels and Voyage of John Mandeville, 1400. It said, in the country where they visited, crocodiles slay men, and when they eat them, they weep. So one of the zoologists videotaped four captive caimans and three captive alligators while they were eating and found that five of the seven animals did indeed cry while they ate. Now, they weren't eating people, but they were eating regular food, and he believed that this was a a natural result of the animals hissing and huffing and a behavior that accompanies feeding. And as air passes through the sinuses, it mixed with tears in the crocodile's lacrimal, or tear glands emptying the eye. So one thing is, is sure. Fake grief is not being understood here. But when we have grief, do we really cry for someone? I would suggest tears are the natural consequence when we realize how far God had to go to bring back those from the land of exile. And when you look at Jesus dying on the cross, and you know how far he had to go to bring you back, From your place of eternal death, it can bring a tear to your eye. A tear of joy, and maybe even a tear of sorrow for him who had to go to such an extent to reach you. So how real is your conversion? The psalmist said, you number my wanderings, you've placed my tears in your bottle. Are they not all in your book? Psalms 56 verse 8. And so the final psalm, the psalm for the journey, He touches on the subject of family. In Psalms 127, verse 1, he says this, "...Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward." Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. The psalmist here, this important uh, psalm would be sung and was part of the journey. I would imagine many of the families sang this one. But it talks about the value of family and children, but also the vanity of building without God. Unless the Lord builds the house, he begins the psalm by reminding each home that unless the Lord is central to building into the lives of the children, all the time spent by parents to train children is simply wasted. A weak child can heedlessly destroy something valuable. And some adults go through life just tearing things down. But God has called us to build our lives, our homes, our churches, the kingdom of God around us. So before commencing public ministry, Jesus was a builder, a carpenter. He is currently building his church. And he said it this way, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Matthew sixteen eighteen. Apostle Paul saw himself as a builder, and he talked about the need to not destroy the local church first corinthians three so whether we are building structures with bricks or mortar or steel or building lies, families, and churches with eternal truth and love, we cannot succeed without the Lord. Without me, you can do nothing, says the lord in john fifteen five We need to build upon God's word, prayer, fellowship, worship, witness. And this is the message we need to hear. Many parents today are allowing their children to be molded by the media as TV, radio, internet, smartphones and a host of other media send out constant blare of mixed messages. Let's think for a moment of the mixed messages. On one hand, the media will inform children that drugs and drunkenness is to be avoided. But that same media will extol Hollywood stars who indulge in drugs and alcohol. On one hand... Police and crime stories will, uh, on one hand, the, the media will condemn bullying and violence. But on the other hand, police and crime stories will extol lying, dishonesty, and violence as the principal way to solve life problems. When was the last time you saw on a TV show the problem has been established and the mother and father get down on their knees and pray? Wow. I think I'd have to go back to something like the Waltons to see that going on TV. Why, today, it's all about how can I outwit the criminal with criminal methods and use dishonesty, cheating, lying, etc. Each home needs, as a central core, a firm relationship with the Lord and with His Word. We must establish that the Word is truth. That's what Jesus said sanctify them by your word your word is truth when i come against science and i see science says something opposite of what the bible says guess who wins god he knows better and we need as we go out into the world of science and technology and the world of ai and information The world of computers and all the world that is around us. Never over be overwhelmed by that world because it's all sham. If it's not built on truth. Truth is the established word of God and we can have confidence in God's word. For God's word is like a hammer. Breaks the rocks. And he broke the heart. The rock of my heart. And he's broken the rock of your heart. So many of you here today know his word was what was implanted in your heart. And it wasn't science that made you see it. Although sometimes we see glimpses in science and extriple things that, that just do not make sense. Unless there is a creator and a creation and a design that is going far more complicated than you and I could ever understand. And So that means daily devotions. Reading scriptures, teaching Bible verses, taking children to good Bible preaching and exalting churches and making the Lord central to your home. But remember, when you go out to university or to your own home, you need to do the same. We need to trust and believe the Bible for ourselves and then practice it on a regular basis. Except the Lord build the house, you labor in vain who build it. There is no invisible partner. You're wasting your time trying to build up your children. Second vanity is trying to guard children without the Lord. In the beginning of our lives, parents put uh, protective laws around their children. Don't put that needle in your mouth. Don't run into the street. Don't forget to tie your laces. You'll fall over yourself. All these are designed to prevent injury and possible death. But we cannot as parents possibly hope to be there with our children 24 hours a day. And there's only one person who can, and that's the Lord. And so we waste our efforts to guard our children if we've never taken time to give our children back to God. That literally, you put them on the altar, as it were, of dedication and say, Lord, they are your children. I give them back to you, and I will pray for them. Every day. Do you pray for your children? Grandparents. Do you pray for your children? Every day. Do you pray for your grandchildren? Every day. You know, that's one thing that I remember, Mrs. D. Even in her later years, she would say, I've got a big, long prayer list now. We had another baby. We had another granddaughter or great-granddaughter or whatever. And she says, the list is getting long. But I pray for every one of those every day. What a godly example. And we need to. Practice those godly examples for our children. Some churches have a formal dedication service. I like that, but just as Hannah gave her son Samuel to the service of the Lord with these words, I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, so too we need to do the same. The vanity of trying to guard children without the Lord. Can't happen. The vanity of suffering awake without knowing God's rest. For those who are in the midst, perhaps not so many here, but some would be in the midst of uh, parenting, what's the most common feeling that you have? Tiredness. Yeah, I remember those days, first 10 to 15 years of our, of our bringing up children. It was, will I ever get any sleep here in this world? <laughs> will I ever get a solid night's sleep? Parents are expected to hold down jobs, be competent in the workforce at the same time as being up for all hours of the night. And it's truly a waste of time if the Lord is not there in that. We just might as well forget all the love and effort that real parenting means because the end result is that another human being has become a wasted life ending in violence and death. But God would have it another way. I recall many a day when I felt I could go no further. And I had to call upon the Lord as a parent to ask for that extra bit of energy I needed to make it through. Another parent event, parent-teacher meeting, special moment with the child that they wished to share with me. You know, when they would bring up that scratchy little paper and say, here's a flower for you. And you look and you couldn't see a flower for the life of you. But you said, that's so beautiful. Beautiful. So I wanted to be alert enough and not only enjoy the memory but give appropriate responses and I would just have to call on the Lord. Give me more strength. I hope you're doing that too. I hope you're calling out upon the Lord because without the Lord, all this rising up and staying up is just a waste. It's vanity. The last verse points out the rewards of parenting. The psalmist says children are a reward. Now, in today's age, that's unusual. Um, Most parents or most... um, People that are married today look upon children as a waste, and inconvenience, and time-demanding. Um, it's unfortunate, but that's the attitude of the world. The fruit of the womb is a reward. How often we've heard, uh, we had five children. Some of you who've had larger families know this experience. When we got our first and second, it was, oh, joy, you've had a baby. When we got to the third or fourth or fifth, it was, oh, that's too bad you had a baby. What? No birth control? Don't you know? uh, How are you going to provide for all those kids? See, there was implied or stated directly that the more children you had, uh, the more challenges, and uh, it wasn't such a great deal. But children are a reward, and I can say that from a personal point of view. Children are a blessing, and I think every parent who, who has children can say the same. But they're arrows, too. Arrows are no good unless they're aimed, put under stress from the string of the bow, and sent out. An arrow that's never aimed or shot is an arrow that's never fulfilled its purpose. I hear some parents say today, I would never read Scripture to my child. I would never teach them God's Word. I wouldn't even bring them to church. Why? Let them choose for themselves when they get to be of age. Well, Scripture says that even as children... We're all prone to go wrong, to do wrong, to make the wrong choices. And if you do not aim your children, they will not turn out well. David said in Psalm 51, he was conceived in sin. So too, children need to be taught the word of God, shown what is right and constantly corrected. And as grandparents, we can have a role for those of us who are in that area, in that part of training as well. Notice the final blessing of children. Happy is the man who has a quiver full of them. So how big was your quiver or is your quiver? To be pointed out, if you really, uh, like what your country is like, every family needs to have a minimum of three more children to maintain existing culture. I'm just talking statistical facts here. Okay? If you like the culture that Canada has, But if the birth rate drops below that number, don't be surprised if your country's culture begins to change because now population growth will come from immigration. Not bad, but whatever culture brought in in the largest numbers will then become the dominant culture in a democracy. But not only this, but they shall not be ashamed when they speak to their enemies in the gate. The city gate was a place where important legal business was transacted. And here's the imagery. A man is called to the gate, to the wall of the city, to answer a demand from thieves and robbers. A small band of two or three thugs has arrived at the gate of your house, demanding all you own. They look mean, hardened, and cruel. They will, But as you step forward to speak to them, politely you inform them that they will not be taking anything from you, and they best be on their way. And they look at you and say, And who's going to stop us? At that point, your entire family steps out from behind the wall. There are a large, powerful, strapping young men, all armed and ready for battle. There are graceful and beautiful women with bows and spears at the ready. Higher then is the imagery of the psalmist. As the thieves slink away in shame, the psalmist says, This is what it means to be happy, happy, happy. And part of honoring our parents, the fourth command in Exodus 20.12 is the act of taking in our parents at the end of life, as Paul says in 2 Timothy 5.8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Perhaps I'm reading this or hearing this today, wonder uh, about even having children. I had a friend I worked with who stated that he would never have any children because he didn't want them growing up in such ungodly times. He was later convinced of the value of children, and he did actually have one child, a daughter. A few years later, his wife suffered an unusual sickness and died rather suddenly. And as he looks back on his life, this same child that he wrestled over whether he should even consider having has become such a source of comfort and joy. May you enjoy your children this day. May you never take them for granted. May you give them a hug in the name of Jesus. Tell them of his love. His promise is sure, and in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Galatians 6, verse 9. One final thought. For those of us who are single and are not married or do not have children at this point in time, just remember, there is children for all. Paul spoke of it when he said, Am I not your father in Christ? And so we who are by faith seeking to win the loss can bring those into the family of God and so become fathers and mothers to them. And may we have a community of faith that is family. It's not just collections of family, but that we too are brothers and sisters of one another and that we love each other fervently. With a pure heart. May God bless you as you are prepared for your journey this day. May you be enjoying your family. May you be looking forward with joy and laughter and dreams. And may you be always trusting in the Lord Jesus. May God bless you. As we sing those words, Father, we're reminded of those people who sang or shouted those words when you arrived in Jerusalem and they were excited that you were there. May we be uh, excited to have you in our lives as we journey, and as we uh, journey to uh, life's path, that your presence would be with us, that we would look frequently to you, as we've been reminded today to make you a part of all that we do and all that we uh, endeavor. And we ask that your presence would continue to be with us uh, throughout the days ahead, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.